joy, peace, tranquility, vibrancy, and wellness. Isn't this what you want instead of constant stress? That's what host Rochelle Lawson is going to help you with on Blissful Living. There are many ways to reduce stress, some you may not even know about. Doesn't a little peace and tranquility sound like just what you've been looking for? Relax for a few minutes with Rochelle. She's the queen of feeling fabulous. Hi, and welcome to Blissful Living. This is the queen of feeling fabulous, Rochelle Marie Lawson. And we have a great show in store for you today. We have guest Peter Estevez with us. And we're going to be talking a little bit more about um, health and a health issue or a wellness issue that um, continues to kind of plague our society. I don't want to say kind of. It does plague our society. And it's not much spoken about in mainstream, although there are a lot of people suffering from this um, and a lot of people that have to deal with it. But uh, today we're going to bring it here, as I always like to do for all of you. And so before we get started in our fabulous show with our guest, Peter Estevez, let me thank our sponsors. The first sponsor I want to thank is All Day Cable, Inc., telecommunications installation company located in Silicon Valley. If you have any needs for any voice, data, fiber optic, or wireless services, you definitely want to connect with All Day Cable Inc. They've been in business for 30 years, and they will be happy to help you solve your network distribution issues, help your telecommunications be more effectively and work more efficiently, or help you design and build out a new uh, telecommunications network distribution for your company or help you with any ads, moves, or changes in that arena. And you can check them out at alldaycableinc.com. The other sponsor we want to thank for today's show is Blissful Living for You. And Blissful Living for You is a dream lifestyle company focused on wellness, wisdom, and wealth. The model is that they help you to build and sustain wellness, wisdom, and wealth so that you can step into living the life of your dreams. If you have issues with sleep, if you want to lose weight, if you want to feel better, if you want to know how to more about detoxification, if you want a personal coach to help you through any health and wellness challenges that you may have, then you should connect with Blissful Living for You. If you want to improve your mindset or get on your game, so to speak, and get your mind right, Blissful Living for You has got a program for you as well. Or if you want to build and sustain that money that you make and keep more of it in your pocket and that which is in your pocket you want it to grow, then definitely you want to check out Blissful Living, the number four in the letter U, dot com. All righty. Now, I want to tell you a little bit about our guest today. Uh, Peter Estevez was born in Mexico City, and he immigrated or migrated to the United States at the age of 10. Peter is an entrepreneur and a partner in several companies in the energy sector in his birth country. Now, um, as a person that struggled with alcoholism, Peter has been sober for 18 years, and as that, they like to say, he's in recovery because it's always an everyday journey. Now, Peter is a big advocate for recovery, as well as a writer and an author, and um, he has an upcoming book coming out called From Lies to Riches, 
13 Steps to a Healthy Life in Recovery. He is the co-host of the podcast, Salt and Pepper, Coming Clean, and that podcast was released in June 2019. So, hey, Peter, welcome to Blissful Living. It's great to have you. Rochelle, thank you so much, and thank you for the introduction. Happy to be here and happy to connect with you and your and your community. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, you're very welcome. We're happy to have you. We haven't had a guest on the show in the past that's talked about, um, you know, alcoholism and the road to recovery, so to speak. And and so um, I'm glad that we are able to have you on the show to talk about this because this is something that is um, affects our our population in a big way. But a lot of people think that because it's legal, um, it's not it's not a, it's not a problem. And we hear a lot about the opioid addiction, or back in the day, the crack addiction, or a crisis that was going on, um, the meth crisis that was going on, and now we have the opiate crisis. So we have all three of these, you know, drugs. Um, but no one ever talks about alcohol. And I know that in the state I currently am in. It seems to me that um, coming from the golden state of California, it seems to me that the state that I'm currently in, everything is focused around alcohol, all the events, uh, everything. Everything is focused on alcohol and eating, and two of them could be very bad. But what really um, intrigued me was the fact that how much drinking alcohol is emphasized in the state of Texas, and I don't think people really understand that not everyone can control their their drinking. You know, not everyone can control it, and as much as they present it and as much as it's emphasized here, it just it's very disturbing to me coming from a state that we don't focus on alcohol as much as they do here in Texas. And so I'm glad to have you on the show because I know everybody has someone in their family that's suffering from this, whether they want to admit it or not. And so what I want to ask you about was um, what actually opened up your mind with regards, I know you're a recovering alcoholic, what actually opened up your mind with regards to realizing that you actually had a problem with alcohol? Well, uh, thank you for asking that question because it's a question that seldom, very seldom gets asked. And, and you're right. Uh, alcohol throughout generations has been glamorized. It, it has been related to sex. It has been related to success. It has been related to romance. It has been related to celebration. It's a spirit. So a lot of people cannot, it, 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 they have a really hard time associating that to a negative connotation when in reality it's a deadly poison. Now, there's a lot of people that can drink it controllably, but for those individuals that have an addiction, they are allergic to alcohol, it is fatal. It's, it's a matter of life of that. Unfortunately, for many uh, generations, alcoholism, mental illness, and issues like that have been swept under the carpet. There, there were the, the family dirty little secrets. Nobody wanted to talk about the drunk and the uh, crazy grandfather, <laughs> the, uh, you know, obnoxious neighbor, you know, the, you know, the, the, the funny uncle. Nobody wanted to talk about that. And 
you know, for a long time, I was all of those uh, wrapped in one. In fact, I used to, I used to joke about, uh, about my addiction, about, about my alcoholism. I used to say that when I drank, I had the uh, confidence of John Wayne, the looks of George Clooney, the dances of John Travolta, and the swagger of Clean Eastwood. And in reality, what I was was a lonely, filthy drunk, you know, trying right. to find my place in society. Uh, and, 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 and when you look at it from that perspective, that is a very sad position to be in. I did not know that I had a problem that had a solution. I thought I was a problem without a solution. You know, uh, I, I grew up in a, in, a, in a household that was very dysfunctional uh, as well as very traditional. So, you know, a lot of my uh, – I come from a household where I had 13 siblings. Uh, out of 13, I have six siblings that are older than me. I'm a middle mm-hmm. child. And mm. the gap, the age gap between us is quite large. In fact, uh, my elder brother is almost 30 years older than me. So, there, oh, there, wow. uh, 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 you know, there was, there, uh, it, it, in order for us to be able to relate to one another, it was very difficult. But I did monkey see, monkey do. Everybody drank. Everybody escaped some way or another. And when I looked at my childhood and I looked at all the all, all those factors that contributed to my escapism, okay? Because in reality, mm-hmm. my alcoholism began, became as a form of me escaping. I didn't realize this until later in life. But, you know, I, um, you know, I, 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 I looked at my environment. I didn't like where I came from. And I realized that where I came from is not who I was. That I had right. an opportunity of, uh, that I had an opportunity of becoming the individual that I seek to be, and as I went on through life, I I went on, built a successful real estate career, built a multi million dollar company, got married, got divorced, got married, got divorced, failed businesses, <laughs> lots of successes. There was a lot of dysfunction in my life. I will I will build it up and then I would sabotage it, build it up and sabotage it. There was something, I had an empty hole in my stomach. I had an empty hole in my, in my soul that I could not feel with anything. The minute that, that, that I became, comp- go ahead. Yeah, so do you think that, because um, you, you mentioned something that I think is huge, and um, you mentioned how it became a form of escapism. Did you realize that... Um, you were using it as that, you know, for the, for the purpose of escaping. And did you realize what it was that you were trying to escape from? I did. Eventually I did, but not immediately. It took me a long journey. You know, I didn't get sober for many, many years. I was, uh, I was 38 years old when I got sober. So for a long time I went suffering thinking something was wrong. Okay. It was not until I hit, uh, until it was not until I hit a bottom and I had a high bottom, my bottom, you know, when I first got sober, I had not lost a wife. I had not lost the business. In fact, I was very, very successful living, you know, in a multimillion dollar home, running a multimillion dollar business. Uh, You know, I had the right relationships, the right friendships, high social status, you know, politically involved philanthropy, you name it, everything, you know, I, I was checking all the boxes, but uh, something would happen to me the minute I would get in the environment, although I was being accepted in many other ways, socially, politically, economically, 
even in a business community, I didn't feel comfortable in that environment. I didn't feel that I belonged there. I I almost mm. felt a sense of I almost felt a sense of imposter syndrome. I almost felt like when are they going to figure out that I'm not as smart as they think I am? When are they going right. to figure out that I am a fraud? When are they going to figure out that that I don't know how the fuck I got here? When are they going right. to figure this out? Okay. <laughs> right. And, 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 right. And, and, and the reality is that although I was very creative, very focused, very driven, um, I did not have early on a formal education. So I was creating my education. Uh, I didn't have a formal education as it was required in my generation, you know, a, right. A, 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 the right degree, the right this, the right that. You know, it was, I, I, was, I was, you know, we're not, I don't believe in being self-made, but I was, just, you know, I was somebody that made myself along the way. You know, obviously right. it took a village to get me there uh, because nobody makes themselves. You know, it's, 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 it's our environments, it's our peers, it's our people, it's our communities. It's a combination of circumstances and a lot of people that help you get to where you get. Uh, but, but, you know, I, I bootstrapped my success, you know, uh, I bootstrapped my company and, and I was able to get to many, many places, but I always kept running away from circumstances because I didn't feel like I belong. So after so many alcohol, let me ask you this, Peter, did you think the alcohol made you feel comfortable in the situations where you felt un- uncomfortable or felt like you, you know, you weren't smart enough or you weren't? you know, handsome enough or you weren't rich enough or you weren't savvy enough or confident enough, do you believe that the alcohol made you feel that that you were confident, you were smart, you well, winged it? I believe that when I was drunk, the reality was that that, that was a lie. You know, I believe mm. that the minute that I took a drunk and I, I, I took a drink and I got the courage to talk to whoever I wanted to talk to, to dance whatever song I danced to, to sing when I, whatever song I wanted to sing, to flirt with whoever I wanted to flirt. I felt that the alcohol gave me that confidence. I felt that the alcohol gave me that drive. But the reality is that the alcohol that it did was alter the way I felt temporarily and gave me a boost, gave me something that I could get on my own today. Okay, mm-hmm. get me something mm-hmm. that I could get on my own today without needing a substance to alter my mind. Uh, but I didn't know that. I just, you know, I, I you know, the, the minute I drank, I felt, I felt better about myself and I felt I could talk to people and I didn't feel like an imposter anymore. I didn't feel like a fraud anymore. I didn't feel like I didn't fit in anymore. I became part right. of it, it, it. It was an illusion. The reality is that the minute that the alcohol came down, was that the minute that I started feeling that the effect of alcohol was changing on me, and I went from having that immediate high into a drunk, into a depression, into withdrawn, into, okay, I need to get out of here because now I feel, you know, I'm not in control anymore. The, the alcohol right. is now in control, and now I'm making a fool out of myself. So it was, right. it, 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 it was a false reality that it only lasted a few minutes. And, and, but it took me a long time to learn what I was running away from. And yes, absolutely. I was running away from a lot of unresolved issues that had manifested as a result of my upbringing. They had manifested as a result of my childhood. They had manifested as, as a result of the things that I saw growing up as a child. You know, you grew up in a very, you grew up, I grew up in a very dysfunctional environment. So very young, as a, as a young boy, I realized 
which is step one in recovery, that I was over, I was powerless over my circumstances. I was powerless as a young kid over where I came from and what I was witnessing. As a result Got of it. that, which is, which is the, 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 the second part of the first step in recovery, as a result of that, my life was unmanageable. Okay? So, right. what so happens basically, when, you felt that you were, you grew up in a situation, and I know a lot of people listening can relate to this. You know, you grew up in a situation as a kid, and you, you really don't have any control over, you know, your environment. You, you know, you really don't. You're basically, I want to say like a fly on the wall just watching things happen around you. And sometimes the good, bad, and the ugly, you know, we harbor inside, and it kind of sits there and festers, and we don't know why, but certain things, you know, come back up in our life as we get older. And, you know, for for you probably alcohol was a way that you were able to either squash that down or feel that you had some power to take control over that circumstance that you really didn't have any control over in that in, in that past environment. And I know a lot of people can relate to that um, with regards to it. I know a lot of people, you know, struggle with that. And, and, you know, a lot of people come from dysfunctional families and dysfunctional environments and things of that nature. But there are also those that came from really, I want to say, you know, the – environment or uh, upbringing that some of us would have loved to have had, you know, be somebody that grew up in the hood or, you know, whatever. They always say you're the product of your environment, but it's what you do with your goods inside you as you move forward that, you know, can manifest in good, bad, or indifferent. And so for you, alcohol was a way for you to kind of deal with all of that and then not really have, have to face the reality of that what happened when you were growing up was not really in your control and there was nothing you can do about it, but it, it affected you tremendously. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. You know what happens is when you are in a cycle of dysfunction, there's four cycles that, that, that become part of that, of that cycle. Number one, you're powerless, okay? Uh, young boy in a situation where you're not running the show, your parents are running the show, and there's dysfunction in your home, the people that you look, that you look for love and protection, you see that they cannot love or protect themselves, okay? So right there, you're powerless, okay? Your environment is unmanageable, okay? Thereby, you are unmanageable. So now you're seeking to escape. So when, you, when, when, you, when you, you're, you're powerless and your environment is unmanageable, then you enter a state of insanity because you see the vicious cycle, the same thing happening over and over and over, and you don't know how to escape. Okay, so when you enter that state of insanity, you jump from that state into what is called a state of survival. Okay, so the state of survival is you learn coping mechanisms that allow you to survive in the environment that you are in. Okay, Uh, those coping mechanisms may not be healthy. Nine out of ten times, they're very, very unhealthy. You know, it can be promiscuity. It can be sex. Right. It can be porn. It can be alcohol. It can be drugs. It can be whatever, but 99% of the time, those survival uh, mechanisms are self-destructive mechanisms. Now, they make you feel good temporarily, and you feel good because you're escaping, but it's only an immediate rush that you get into escape your reality. At some point, Mm -hmm. you come back to to your reality, and then 
you're living your reality again and say, hell, this is not comfortable. So you go and seek another high. You go and seek another way of escaping. And, and there goes that cycle. So, we, uh, you know, a person in addiction, and, and, you know, the reality is that we're all addicted to something, okay? Right. It just so happens that alcohol and drugs and porn and sex and some other addictions are more detrimental to our well-being than others. Okay, but addiction is addiction is addiction. Uh, we are plagued with an epidemic in America and across the world today with drugs and alcohol, opium, among many, many others, uh, sex, uh, social media, porn. <laughs> but a lot of that shopping. is wanting, shopping. A lot of that has to do with people wanting to escape the reality. We're not wanting to confront what is, what is the root of their of, 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 of the symptom. What, what is the root? What is causing me to want to escape? Well, you know, I took that young boy into adulthood. And what happens with, with anyone that enters any type of addiction, your mental development is stunted from the moment that you start abusing alcohol or drugs right. or whatever it is that you're abusing. So I started abusing alcohol at the age of 12, 13 years old. So here I was walking as a businessman at the age of 30, with a 12-year-old mentality, okay? So, of course, I felt like John Wayne when I had alcohol. Of course, I felt like John Travolta when I wanted to dance. Of course, I felt like I had the swagger of a Clint Eastwood. Why why did I think all those things? Because I was was a young boy. I was a 12-year-old boy on a 30-year-old body, okay? And my behavior, my self-restruction was just a result of a stunted development. Okay, so in order for me to be able to have a healthy recovery, I needed to have my physical age, my intellectual age, my emotional age being paired on with who I want to be and who I am today. Okay, but I have to digress and dig into what caused this for me, what caused these behaviors, what was it that took me to want to escape? I pinpointed each circumstance. I've done a lot of work. I have over 7,000 hours of, of, of meetings in addiction and recovery. I have read literally hundreds, if not thousands of books on the, on the subject. I've done a lot of uh, scientific research, not only for my book, but for preparation for my podcast, for preparation for my public speaking, and for preparation to change my legacy, because ultimately, what I wanted to do, I didn't want to put a Band-Aid on my addiction. I wanted to break the curse in my generation. I wanted to create a new legacy that broke every previous generational taboo and dysfunction that I had been carrying from generation from generation. I adopted that from my parents. They adopted that from their parents. My grandparents adopted them from their parents and so on and so on and so on. But somebody needs to break it. Somebody needs to break it. This is not any different than generational wealth. Generational wealth is generational wealth because somebody started it and then somebody carried it forward and somebody put put a system moving forward in order for that wealth to continue growing from generation to generation. If you take families, the one percenters, as we call them, everything that they do in order to be successful is very structured, okay? So I had to learn to structure my life as if I was a one percenter. And I had to develop 
the habits and the rituals that people uh, uh, in my family bloodline did not have. Uh, prayer, meditation, transformation, education, emotional growth. I was not any. I was not any longer focused on my IQ. I was more focused on my EQ. I, I was not any more focused on surviving. I was focusing on contributing. Okay, so everything within me had to shift in order to know that I can truly break my generational curses. In in order so to, now, to realize. Yes. Yeah. So now I want to ask you. So when you decided, or when you came to the realization that. You know, hey, you know, I think I've got this problem. Okay, I think I've got this problem with alcohol. And as much as I may like to drink or much as I, I, I like the way I feel when I'm, you know, buzzing, so to speak, um, at what point in time did you, what was the next, once you realized you had this problem, how long was it before you sought out help with the problem and in the, in the, Part A to that question is, once you had the problem, did you try to stop on your own or did you realize that you needed to seek help in order to, to conquer uh, the battle without help? Rochelle, Rochelle that's, that, that's a wonderful question because once you have a problem, we all want to stop for a long time. We just don't know how. Every addict, okay, can do, can do with it and they can do without it. At some point, you're just surviving to get through the day. It's no longer, you no longer find the high. You no longer right. find the joy. You're just surviving. You're just existing. And most people don't even know that. Most addicts suffer in silence. That's why there's so many suicides. That's why so many people take their lives because nobody knows. You know, nobody knows how painful it is to not want to take that drink and to promise yourself in the morning that today is a day that is over, and by 5 o'clock, you are shit-faced, okay? Right. And you, don't even, right. and you don't even know how you got there, okay? Right. So, right. So, so for a long, long time, I was fighting these demons, and I didn't know how to stop. I remember being at the movies, and I couldn't wait for the movie to be over so I could go have a drink. You know, here I am <laughs> with a beautiful woman sitting at the movies, watching a great movie, and I'm thinking about the freaking drink. How dysfunctional right. is that? That is right. a state of insanity. That is a state of insanity. So what happened was, after one of my many escapades, my ex-wife gave me an ultimatum, and during that ultimatum, uh, I seek help. I went to go see my, my, my therapist, and my therapist told me, he said, Peter, you know, you've been coming to see me for a long, long time. You're a great individual. You're a great man. You have a huge future. The only tree thing that's going to destroy you is alcohol. And unfortunately, there is nothing I can do to help you. You know, there's not a so you were already for all. seeing a therapist. You were so you had already yes. been seeing a therapist. But yes, because because I never felt I never I always felt that there was something wrong with me, and I wanted to fix me. I didn't know what it was, but I knew that something that was within me was abnormal. Okay. And, and I wanted to find, you know, I wanted to address it. I really wanted to fix me. I, want not, I didn't want to be broken. I wanted to be whole. I just didn't know how, okay? But for the very first time, for the very first time, my therapist tells me, you have one of the most acute cases of alcoholism that i ever seen. And there's the, bad, the, the bad news is that there's no cure for it. The good news is that there is a 12-step program of recovery that 
has the high success rate of, of people staying sober if they follow their steps. It's a 12-step program. He said, I suggest that you go and visit one of their meetings. He actually picked up the phone. He found out where the meeting was, and I left his office. I went to my very first 12-step program meeting. And I went in there, and I remember driving the parking lot because I used to live in one of your cities in San Antonio, which is a relatively small town. And I didn't want, I knew a lot of people there. I was a highly prominent person in the community. Uh, you know, I drove through the parking lot. I wanted to, I was hoping I didn't run into anyone that I knew. Somebody you know. So I, <laughs> right, right. It, it, you know, and, and, and that's really what's interesting. You know, we're afraid to find out that we're seeking help, but we're not afraid to find out that we're making an ass out of ourselves being drunk. You know, isn't that right. something? You know, that's very okay? interesting. Yeah, that is so interesting because um, that's so true. You have no problem going out and getting that drink and, hang, you know, letting these people see you be lit to the curb, so to speak. No problem. But to have someone see you going to get help, that kind of signifies that, oh, you know what? I saw Peter going to 12-step. You know, I think he's an alcoholic. Even though they may have seen you having a ball many a times, you know, and acting a fool, the fact that someone may see you going to get help actually signifies that you actually may have a problem. And and it's so true. I've heard that across the board, just, you know, with um, people addicted to drugs or people, you know, addicted to alcohol. It's the fact that someone may see them that knows them that they're going to seek help, they don't see it really as a good thing. They see it as, oh, now my cover has been blown, so to speak. And so it's really yeah. interesting. And, and you know, I want to, because, you know, we could talk forever. You know how me and you are. We could talk forever. But sure. I want to kind of shift a little bit into the actual part of the recovery, because I know you're really passionate about it. And um, some people want to keep their <coughs> – I want to say skeletons in the closet was so to speak. You know, I know people that smoke crack like nobody's business back in the 80s and 90s. Or I know people who did cocaine and today they will not and had a problem with it. And, you know, they may have recovered. I don't know their whole circumstances or situation, but they will not talk about it. They will not talk about it. It's almost like it doesn't exist, even though everyone saw them when they were on one, it, it, they, they won't talk about it. It's like, oh, I didn't do that. Oh, I didn't do that. But it's like, yes, you did. I saw you, you know, lit to the curb, or I saw you smoking that crack, or I saw you looking down the street, looking at rocks, thinking they were crack rocks, and trying to pick them up and put them in your crack pipe. I get, I don't, I, I understand that. But what I want to ask you with regards to the steps you took, you went to the 12-step program, which I've heard about and I know a lot about. In, in nursing school back in the day, we had to do a re, you know, research project on various types of things, and, and one of them was we had to go to sit in a meeting. So I want to ask you with regards to that, share with the listeners not so much about the whole intimacy of a 12-step program, but basics about what it is, what can someone expect when they first go to a 12-step program and they're seeking help? Absolutely. I want to I speak to one thing before I chip into that, and I'm certainly going to do that. You know, okay. what happens when you are immersing your addiction, one of the reasons the addictions permeate so deeply in people's lives is because nobody tells them they have a problem. It is almost like, okay, I'm not going to bring any attention to them because then the attention is going to also be brought into me. 
So I walked right. around getting drunk and making an ass out of myself, and nobody ever told me anything. In fact, many people celebrated my stupid jokes, my corny dancing, my dumb behavior, okay? And I think that right. is the worst injustice we can do to anyone, okay? It is the worst injustice that we can do to anyone. If you truly care and love somebody, you tell them what you see. You tell and them call what's them out. happening. You call them out so they can hit, uh, seek help, and nobody ever called me out. Anyway, after... After that incident with my therapist, I went to a 12-step meeting, and during the 12-step meeting, uh, the first thing that you have to admit during a 12-step meeting is obviously 12 steps because there's 12 different steps that you gotta that you got to go through in order to, to commence your journey, okay? Right. I had to admit during the meeting that I was there because I had a problem, okay? So I had to identify myself, okay? And typically... Uh, what you do after you identify, people welcome you into that community, and um, you make a choice. It's completely voluntarily. You make a choice whether you want to stay there or not. I chose to stay in the community. I chose to stay in the program. And what they ask you to do during a meeting is to listen for the first few days and listen to the similarities. And if you do, you're eventually going to hear your story. Now, on my very first meeting, Everything was foggy. Everything was cloudy. I don't even remember what was said. But I do remember thinking, I'm not like those people. I haven't lost mm-hmm. the wife. I haven't lost the car. You know, I'm cool. I'm rich. I'm powerful. You know, uh, you, you know, because I was still in a state of denial. I didn't want to accept my reality. Okay? But there was something that caught me enough to be able, me admitting that I was there because I had a problem gave me permission to surrender myself to the possibility of returning to another meeting. And when I did that the second time, when I did that the second time, then I saw things a little bit clearer. And when I went the third time, more clear. And the fourth time, more clear. And then eventually I sat across from a gentleman, and that gentleman told my story. His story was my story, okay? He had been, he was about... He, he was a few years older than me, but he had had many failures, many successes, similar background, similar up, upbringing, and he's sharing my story, sharing my story, sharing my story. So after the meeting, I went and talked to him, okay, and I told him, I asked him if he would consider being my mentor. And oh. he, he said, absolutely. If you are serious and committed to this journey, I will be your mentor. So we met next day, and then we started the the steps. And the steps are 12 steps, as I said, and it's a process. First, you have to admit that you are powerless over, in my case, alcohol, and my life was unmanageable, okay? Right. But that that in itself stuck a lot of curiosity in me because I said, okay, so I am powerless over alcohol, and when I drink, my life becomes unmanageable, and I do a lot of stupid stuff. So, yeah. But what got me there? So it's staying back in my head, okay? And then the mm-hmm. second step is, is that you're, 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 uh, you ask a higher power uh, to return you um, <clears throat> to remove your state of insanity, okay? Again, if your life is unmanageable, okay, and you're powerless, you're in a state of insanity, okay? So when you ask a higher power, whatever that may be, the higher power for me could have been my new mentor, okay? Somebody right. outside of myself, because if I use my own judgment, well, we already know what my own judgment got me. My own judgment got me drunk, so I needed to get outside of my judgment. I needed to look for a solution outside of myself. And let's face it, 
most alcoholics, most more uh, drug addicts are selfish and self-centered. So they make themselves their own high power. Okay. Right, and right, yeah. and by, by, by default, they keep looking for the answer in the problem in ourselves. So now, okay? so, Peter, so with regards to, so when you went to this meeting, you know, you went to your first meeting, how many meetings approximately, because I know you went to one meeting, you just automatically didn't stop drinking. How how long was the process? Because I want people to really understand that to go to your first meeting is the first step. But don't expect that your first meeting, your second meeting, or maybe even your tenth meeting is not going to cure you or stop you from wanting to take that, that, that drink or that, you know, drink that bottle. <coughs> Yeah, Rochelle, everybody's different, but I will tell you is I had my last drink the night before I went to see my therapist, which is the night before my my uh, my first meeting, you know, almost oh, 19 years okay. ago. I never drank again. Now, don't get me wrong. The obsession didn't leave right away, okay? Now, I didn't have an obsession. I was not white-knuckling it. I was not craving that alcohol, but I but I knew I knew right there and then Something happened, something shifted after that very first meeting that I was never the same person again, okay? I knew, okay. I, had, I realized the day that I walked into that meeting, the day after I left my therapist, that I had a problem, but there was a gleam of hope when he told me that there was a solution. And I knew, I knew that my drinking my, was an escapism, okay? That I was escaping to that place. It's not, because I was at a point where I, I didn't drink voluntarily. I just drank because I didn't know what else to do. I didn't right. know how to stop. Okay? Right. It was and not because I was having fun. I think that's a problem for a, a lot of people. You know, they, 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 it's, it's so habitual. It's like, it's almost like breathing. It's just, it's just what they do. You know, it, it's just, yeah. you know, it's, it's just what they do. So, um, they don't even realize sometimes that what they, you know, what they're doing is, is they actually do have control over it. They just think it's just what I do. You know, it's just what I do. I mean, I know people who've quit drinking cold turkey, um, and I know people who've gone through the 12-step program, and I know people who've been in and out of rehab with, you know, with it and, and all of that. Um, but all of them say that it's a continu- it's, every day is a continued journey. It's, even though they may have not had a drink for years, Every day is a continuing of the journey. And so what I want to ask you about now is, you know, we hear a lot about recovery and we hear a lot about sobriety. Can you share the difference with the listeners as what the difference between sobriety and recovery is? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, uh, addiction is an obsession of the center in the mind and it's created by the body, Okay. So mm-hmm. when you just stop drinking, when you just start sobriety, all you have done is stop drinking, okay? You have not cured the system, the symptom, okay? Uh, and sobriety, okay, is a process and transformation of your mind, soul, body, and spirit, okay? So what happens if you have a, a, a malady that centers in the mind, you have to shift your mindset, and you have to shift, shift your mindset physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, okay, in order for you not to longer have that craving, okay? So today I can tell you that it's been a long time that I have any desire for alcohol. Yet, having said that, Rochelle, I can still get drunk. I can still get drunk with lying, cheating, deceiving, controlling, manipulating, womanizing, 
I can still right. get drunk because it's a disease that centers in the mind. It's an obsession, okay? And most addicts, we shift our addictions into something else, something that makes us feel good, okay? But when you right. enter recovery, when you enter recovery, which is a lifestyle, which is a mindset, what you're doing, you are rebuilding the muscles of your mind, your spirit, your soul, okay? your body, you're rebuilding everything about yourself to a point that you are completely transformed and people no longer recognize you, okay? I am not the same person that stopped drinking 19 years ago. People that hear me speak today say, what happened to Peter? Some think I'm crazy, others think, wow, I'm glad that, I'm glad he's changed, okay? Right, right. <laughs> okay? Because, yeah, because transformation, Yes. Because I, I know, like, you know, people, you know, have different personalities, so to speak. And um, I had an uncle who was in, you know, he went to Vietnam and, you know, saw a lot of stuff, okay? You know, it was a, it was a horrible war. And, and war is horrible, I don't, you know, no matter where it is. But Vietnam seemed to really have a tremendous effect on our our men because they were being drafted you know, at the age of 17, you know, they couldn't vote, they couldn't buy alcohol, but they could go kill, and they could go watch, you know, mass mass killings go on. So he went through a lot of stuff, and he, you know, his, his drink of choice was vodka, and he drank it and drank it and drank it, and he was lively and effervescent and, you know, the life of the party and funny and very conversational. I mean, he wasn't he wasn't so lit to the curb where he was obnoxious or anything like that, but he was just a very lively, fun person. I went off to college. When I went off to college, he stopped drinking. When I came back from college, he was my same uncle, but he wasn't this lively, effervescent. He didn't have that personality, so to speak. He was the same guy, same, you know, had the same intellect, the same conversation, but there was just a piece that it was like he, he his, his, I want to say his, um, his personality just was way toned down. And so a lot of people think, well, you know, what happened to him? I, you know, I liked him better when he was drinking because he just seemed to be so much more fun. And so for those that are listening, can you share with the listeners um, with regards to, I know people thought that about you as well. It's like, gosh, you know, Peter was so much fun. And, you know, he, you know, he was the life of the party was, you know, it was always a good time. And I know that you're still a good time, but it's just different. Can you share with the listeners um, that maybe experienced something like this in their, in their, in their world, so to speak, um, what they can do to kind of help that person um, along, because I know sometimes people get shunned and instead of being receptive because they are different. They are a little bit different. Same person, same loving person, same body, same mind, same spirit, but they're just a little bit different. Can you share with the listeners um, how you dealt with that when people saw you after you became sober? Well, absolutely. First and foremost, it cost me my marriage, okay, mm. because my ex-wife and I, my ex-wife and I, we're drinking buddies, okay? Okay. We got married, we got married in Italy. We did the, the, the European wine country as our honeymoon. We were drunk for 20-something uh, days during our honeymoon, okay? Well, our commonality was fun and drinking, okay? But we would mm -hmm. crack stupid jokes among each other, okay? And at some point, <laughs> she felt uncomfortable about, around me, 
Okay? She thought I was boring. The reality is that I was not boring. I had become comfortable with who I was, and I didn't need right. to be loud or nauseous anymore. I was at peace with myself, and I had been centered. Okay? She continued her journey, and eventually she asked me for a divorce. Okay? But the reality is that she didn't ask me for a divorce because I was boring. She asked me for a divorce because I had not continued my process of recovery. I had stopped drinking, but I was not changing. I continued to manifest the same behaviors without the drinking and without the, the alcohol oh, in my right. system. Right. Okay? Right. So, okay. you know, at some point, even as drunk as she was, she said, hell, with this guy, you know, he may not be drinking, but now he's boring and he's still doing the same shit. Screw him. Right. Okay? I'm out. So, so <laughs> I, I'm out. So, so the reality is this. When you see somebody changing, when you see somebody retracting, let them be. Respect them, give them their space, and allow them to get to know themselves. Because the reality is that most of us, when we go from numbing ourselves to becoming our real self, we don't know who we are. And we need to readjust to our being. What is our being? We don't know. We have to reconstruct ourselves and find our new place in society. I didn't know who I was. I, mm-hmm. You know, I used to believe that I was a better businessman when I drank. I used to believe mm-hmm. a lot of things. Okay, that I was under the illusion because of alcohol. And the reality was that now I had a clear vision of who I was and a clear vision of the world. And I was beginning to see the world for what it was, not for what I perceived it to be. Okay. So when when we, you know, when, 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 when we, when we, when our eyes are open and our mind is clear and we are beginning to see from our own perspective, not from a numb perspective, the world looks completely different. So we are at awe. So that silence, that, that, that peace, is because we are at odd with our possibilities. We are at odd with seeing the world with our different eyes. We are at odd with being of service. We are at odd with contributing, something that we never thought about because before we just worry about surviving another day. We didn't know how to right. live. We were trying right. to die living. Okay? Now we have a brand new opportunity to live and we are odd. We're grateful. We're thankful. But we just don't know how to express it because we don't know how to behave now. This is a brand new world for us. So right. What and happens, that makes sense. That makes total sense. Yeah. You've been, you've been operating in a world of, you know, illusion for Delusion. So Delusion. When you have yes. to step into the world of reality, it's like I know how to operate in that other world. But, you know, I'm not really sure how to operate in this world. So it's, it becomes a whole new learning experience, I take it. Uh, absolutely, completely. You're, you're a baby again. You're being retrained. Your mind is being retrained. Your body is being retrained. Your spirit is being retrained. Everything about you is new. So, 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 so you are trying to find your place of belonging because now you know that you can belong. This is not temporarily. This is not changing. Now you know that you can belong. So, you know, to, to, to summarize my, my, my journey, it's very simple. After 14 years of marriage, and I had been uh, sober for almost eight years. Uh, however, after my two years in recovery, I stopped going to my 12-step program meetings. Okay? And when you stop mm-hmm. recovery, recovery stops you too. It leaves you. Okay? Uh, when you stop recovery, you stop growing. Okay? And, and, right. and you fall into your default mode. You fall into what you know. And that's what I meant earlier when I said 
you know, I can still get drunk and lying, cheating, deceiving, controlling, manipulating, because I can go back to my default mode, okay? How do I stay? How do I feel good about myself again, okay? Because I'm I'm uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable because I'm not contributing. I'm uncomfortable because I'm not growing. I'm uncomfortable because I'm not evolving. So after 14 years of marriage, my wife asked me for a divorce, okay? Um, And I found myself as a single father raising a son, losing my mother, losing my father, losing multiple businesses in 2008, one of the worst recessions in America at the time. Um, it just, just everything was lost, 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 lost. And it was the very first time when I saw my young boy going from a happy, healthy young boy to gaining over 50 pounds and telling me he wanted to lose his, he wanted to kill himself. He wanted no longer to live because his mother oh. and his father, his mother and father had destroyed his life. Oh, no. Right. When I heard that, when I heard that from my son and I saw him and I saw his physical body and I saw who he was, I mirrored myself as my eight-year-old boy, as me as an eight-year-old boy. When I was powerless and my life was unmanageable. And what I realized right there, what I was doing, I was repeating the same cycle of behaviors, maybe manifested in a different way that my parents did to me. Right. And right Right. there, at that moment, I decided that I will not do that to my son, that I would break that cycle and I would do everything in my power, that my son did not need to have two dysfunctional parents. He would have one healthy parent that would take care of him, that would protect him, that would raise him, that would meet all his needs and desires, and that we're sure that 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 they would be a role model that he can be proud of. I so you were totally you ready to break the cycle. You were absolutely, absolutely. yeah, because that was that was the epif- that was the epiphany or the pivotal point. That and, was the epiphany. You know, right even there. though you weren't drinking, you were still you know doing whatever. But yes. when you realized yes. it was manifesting in your son as to how you were, and you didn't want to see that. You didn't want that environment for your son. That was the pivotal point for you to break this cycle as you know how we opened up the show so um absolutely you know, absolutely beautiful beautiful you, we're getting close to you know the, re- the reality so the, 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 the reality rochelle is that kids don't do what we say kids do what we do yeah exactly okay and you know my so, parents you know, used to say don't do as i say do as i do and as, as often as i did what they did there were things that i did that they did you know, I, let me rephrase this. As often as I did what they told me to do, there were things that I did watching them that I did that I knew I shouldn't have been doing. You know what I'm saying? And so sure, kids, sure. even though you can tell them stuff, you are their role model. And they, they absorb everything. They listen to what you say, and they also see how you behave and what you do and how you act and respond and all of that. And I think the most... Um, profound thing is the silence in them watching you interact on a day-to-day basis because they learn how to become adults by watching what you do when they're children. And so I, I think that was just great that you shared that with with regards to the story with your son because I think people need to hear that and they need to grasp. You may not recognize what you're doing, but who's watching you? That you're that you're influential on. Who's watching you that you don't even know that you're not even paying attention to, and and do you want that person who's watching you or people or those children or whoever to um, manifest 
like what you're doing in 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 this self-destructive pattern. Huge, huge, and huge, huge, huge. I, I, now I, I know. Yeah, go ahead, Peter. I, I think I think the other epiphany that I had at that particular moment was that don't get me wrong, my parents gave me what they knew to gift me. They didn't know any better, okay? Because their parents only gave them what they knew to give them, okay? But I realized something at that point. I made an inventory of my life, and I made an inventory of my father's and mother's good qualities, and I also made an inventory of my parents' bad qualities. And what I decided was to do this. I was going to enhance their good qualities, and I was going to discard all their negative qualities. And I was going to focus on trying to be the best parent that I could be, okay? And I surrender my will and my life to God, and I asked him to guide me. And I said, God, I don't know how to do this, but teach me. All I know is that I want to be a good parent. I want to be a good role model. I want to be a contributing member of society. I want to do good, and I want to break the cycle. And you know what? The powerful thing about the energy of the universe and the powerful of having a relationship with a higher power, whatever that may be, whatever believe it is, whether it's Buddha or whatever, whatever it is, okay, is that when you release yourself to the possibilities of something greater than self, than yourself leading you, it will lead you. And it will take you where you need to go. And it will take you where you need to be. And all you have to do is follow that energy, okay? And you will find... And, 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 and you will find that the possibility is much greater than you ever imagined, that you don't need to continue seeking. You just need to stop and be present and watch and learn and listen. Okay? I love that. And, you know, and, there's a saying that I say that, um, you know, no matter what circumstances, it's like you can always imagine the possibilities. And you did that with regards to, you know, living your life and getting things in order. You imagine the possibilities and you're sharing that with everyone with regards to no matter what your higher power is, you know, who you believe in or who you don't believe in, you still can imagine the possibilities. The possibilities are endless. And if you believe in yourself and you believe and you have strength, and if you don't have the strength, if you go out and seek help and and have someone support you, like such as, you know, the 12-step program and things of that nature, the possibilities become unlimited they become limitless and so i love um i love how you're just you know bringing that home for everybody to to relate to and to grasp onto but because we're getting so close on our time i want you to share because i mentioned that you um you've you've written a book from lies to riches absolutely so I, Uh, i want you to share a little bit about the book Tell us a little bit about yes, the book. Yes, uh, uh, as, you, as you mentioned, the book is called From Lies to Riches, Lies as to How We Lie to Ourselves. And I went for a long time lying to myself, thinking I wasn't good enough, thinking I was a problem, thinking that I needed to escape, thinking that I needed to, 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 to get drunk. Riches is because I found riches in life today. I found riches in learning. I found riches in, in contributing. I found riches in, in being a better human being. I found riches in everything that I do today, in being open about recovery, in being passionate about recovery, in helping others. I find riches in that. So from life to riches, 13 steps to a healthy life in recovery. Okay? I so love it. And what's the book for? Is it for – you don't necessarily have to be someone – suffering from alcoholism or in recovery or sobriety? Uh, uh, Is it for everyone or? 
the book the book is for everyone. You, you must remember something. One one of the things that is very important about the twelve steps of recovery is that the twelve steps of recovery are based on values and principles. Values and principles to a healthy, productive life. You know. So, and I'm going to go back to step one very quickly. If you take the fact that step one is admit that you're powerless over alcohol, drugs, your finances, whatever it is, and as a result, your life has become unmanageable. So if you take that line and you apply it to whatever problem you have, you realize that there's a solution once you admit it, okay? And you realize that you identify the problem and you realize that that problem is causing your problems. So you need to change it, okay? So when you take that, those, those, 12, those 12 principles, those, those 12 steps, you realize that they can be applied to anything in life. Okay. What I did with the, with the, with the 13 steps is I correlated to an event, an incident in my life where I was able to identify specifically to a time and date when, when each step applied in my life and then how I use the step to transform myself, to change and to become who I am today and who I desire to be in the future. Okay. So that book is, okay. is a self-help book for anybody. You don't have to be an alcoholic. You don't have to be a drug addict. You don't have to be in recovery. It is for someone that wants to transform themselves, somebody, somebody that, 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 that wants to improve, somebody that wants to grow, somebody that, that, that wants to evolve. And then the 13th step is a, is a chapter about what my daily life is about today, okay? As I said uh, a few minutes ago, I'm not the same individual I was 19 years ago. I'm a completely different individual Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, I do things that no one in my family has ever done. You know, I read daily. Well, you know, we didn't have books at home. You know, that was, right. you know, we, we, we were, you know, we, you know, I don't think I ever saw my mom or dad read anything. Okay. Uh, right. So, you know, I read every day. I pray every day. I journal every day. I meditate every day. I exercise every other day. You know, I live a healthy, clean lifestyle. So I take in, I take in the six fundamentals Okay, of, of, of life, the six things, the six foundations of a, a well-being, which is mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual. And I added two more that we seldom talk about, financial and educational. Okay. Mm -hmm. And those are key components to a well-being of every human being. You can take care of your body. You can take care of your brain. You can take care of your spirit. You can take care of yourself. But if you're still broke, you're still unbalanced. Okay. If you're suffering financially, you're still unbalanced. If you're struggling paying your bills, you're still unbalanced. Okay. Right. So it is a fundamental that needs to be addressed. And then educational. And what I mean by educational, you know, we used to focus on a degree. We used to focus on a traditional education. We don't need to focus that anymore, but we do need to focus in shifting from an IQ to an EQ to where we are balanced with our emotional intelligence so we are growing right. and evolving in an every changing world that today can accelerate it 10x, okay? And what do I mean by that? That if we're not preparing ourselves for the future, we become obsolete, okay? Wow. We need to be, you know, we need, we need to be informed. We need to be in touch with reality. And I don't mean about who's playing the latest song or who's, you know, who's schooling social media. I don't mean about that. I mean, know what's going on in, in the medical world, what's going on in society, what's impacting the world, how are you contributing sociably, how are you being productive, how are you raising your children, how are you preparing for your legacy? 
Okay. Right. And when you, right. you know, when, 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 when people from my generation, from my environment, from my culture, from where I come from here, legacy, they said that's all for rich people. No. A legacy it's for is your, it's for everybody. It's, a legacy is your name. Everybody. Let me yes. ask you, Peter. It can't, is this book, could, would, could you give this, so you're basically saying the book is for everybody, um, and it may be a good read for someone that you, uh, and I'm, I'm speaking to you listeners out there, it may be a good read for someone that you know might be having a problem, and you just want to share some wonderful words of wisdom from someone who's led, you know, went through those, that have walked in their footsteps, so to speak. Um, Absolutely. Where can they pick up the book? Where can they get the book? The, uh, the, the book will, will release at Southwest by Southwest in March of 2020, okay? Okay, and it will so be it's available. not available yet. Yeah, it, it's not available yet, and it will be available on Amazon. It would be available at every bookstore, okay? Now, in fact, how can I, they get I, more of you? Thank you so much for asking that question. Obviously, my website, which is www. PeterOSTEVIS.com. I'm also in social media, everywhere in social media, if you Google me. I'm at PeterOSTEVIS on Instagram, at PeterOSTEVIS on Facebook, uh, at PeterOSTEVIS in Twitter, and I'm on Pinterest, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on, I have a YouTube channel, and of course I have my podcast, which is Coming and Clean Podcast. And what's the name podcast. of the podcast? Coming Clean Podcast. Okay, and Perfect. coming clean because it allows an opportunity to come clean about anything that is holding us back. Okay, Perfect. if you well, come, there you if have you, it, everyone. We have the phenomenal guest, Peter Estevez, who shared his words of wisdom, nuggets of gold, and so much value and information about um, his journey with alcoholism and what led him to recovery and sobriety and, you know, he's still alcohol-free to this day. And as I think you said, it's been 18 years, which is absolutely fabulous. And so if you guys are out there listening, you have anybody in your family that you can relate what we've talked about today, I invite you to stay tuned and keep your eyes open for Peter's book, From Lives to Riches, to be released March two thousand. In 2020, 2020, wow, I never thought I would even be able to say 2020. You know, I thought we'd be flying around like the <laughs> But, But anyways, four, you have, you four have months, the opportunity. Four months away. Right. You know, we have the opportunity to share some wisdom with those you love and care about. Um, and get the book. Pick it up. Go listen to his podcast, Coming Clean. Look him up on social media at Peter O. Estevez. He's all over the place. And uh, he's a lively individual, as you can tell. He's fun. He 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 doesn't. Uh, he's a straight shooter, is what I want to say. Good words for Texas, right? He's a straight shooter, and um, and just full of wisdom and information, and an abundance of love. As you hear him talking, you can hear his passion coming out coming out about the subject we're talking about. But because we're at our time limit, I'm going to say thank you so much, Peter, for being a guest on Blissful Living. It was an absolute pleasure. The time goes so fast when we're talking about such wonderful things um, and giving such wonderful words of wisdom and nuggets of gold. So thank you so much, Peter, for being a guest on Blissful Living. Thank and you, Rochelle. Thank you for 
You're very welcome. You're very, very welcome. It was my pleasure. And I want to thank you listeners for tuning in. Um, without you, this show wouldn't be possible. And I want you to share this show with as many people as you possibly can, those you love and care about and those you don't. And those you know that may need some words of wisdom about the subject we're talking about, just drop a dime on them and say, hey, you need to check out this show. You don't need to tell them what it's about. You say, hey, you need to check out this show. Pull up the link for them. Get get it on their phone or their computer or their iPad or whatever else they're using, but pull it up for them and just let them tune in and help them to tune in. You never know whose life we may change just by having someone listening to what Peter shared with us today. I want to thank our sponsors, All Day Cable Incorporated, as well as Blissful Living for You. And with that, I will say, as always, I'm wishing you peace to your mind, wellness to your body, and tranquility to your spirit. This is the Queen of Feeling Fabulous, Rochelle Marie Lawson. And until next time, be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And goodbye for now. You can find out more about Rochelle on her website, Rochelle Lawson, R-O-C-H-E-L-E, Lawson, L-A-W-S-O-N, or at healthhealingwellness.com. Or just click on her websites from the webtalkradio.net page right in front of you. And, of course, you'll want to come right back here next week for another episode of Blissful Living. Thanks for joining us.